0: Welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're going to the North Pole, where there's an alien, and he's gonna eat us. We watched The Things from Another World. Right?
1: Yes, Yes. we did. From
0: 1951, and we're gonna discuss it, but before we do, how was your week?
1: Oh, my week was... it was fun. I, um... My child had a birthday. Twenty-three. Twenty-three. And so, um, although they were completely uninterested in like doing birthday stuff with with me, but
0: if there were anyone in the house.
1: Right. But they still it was really nice to have uh, a special birthday supper and also a really good birthday dessert. I'm all for that. How was your week?
0: It was fine. I had a non-birthday dessert. I I bought a bunch of strawberries, y'all. They smelled so good, and so I bought four pounds of them, and then I m- macerated them in Grand Marnier and powdered sugar, and now I'm eating them with everything. It's the best. It's the best. Maybe that's what I'll have for dinner. Fuck it. I'll make French toast for dinner. <sighs> oh. Probably that not, sounds... though. Probably gonna make pizza. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> so all right let's discuss this movie that is not a prequel
1: well no this is um and this is something that i just became aware of just now while i was researching just right now i have um because i've loved this movie since i was a kid i saw this movie it was on television a lot on uhf uh-huh. Uh, when I was a kid, so it was on, like the original King Kong and a couple of others that, that uh, made a huge like impression. Like every third Saturday or whatever? Yeah. Gotcha. Or you'd get it in the middle of the night. You'd wake up in the middle of the night, and there's the thing. Oh. Um, it's uh, it's a really monumental film. I did not know there are some people who prefer this, the remake that John Carpenter did in the 1980s. Yes, yeah. Um,
0: which is sort of like a blending of this and Invasion of the Body Snatchers.
1: Right. And the original book, it's based on a novella. Um, <laughs> you
0: love a novella. It's like your favorite thing.
1: Right. Called Who Goes There by John W. Campbell. And it, it was about a research station in Antarctica.
0: Oh, on the other the pole. The South Pole, right. Which I believe is where the remake takes place right. also. Yes.
1: And the, uh, these... Researchers find a creature in the ice. The um, they find a spaceship buried in the ice. They find this creature, who they very quickly dispose of, but who they've discovered it can infect and possess other people. Uh, so it is like invasion. Of the body standard. Gotcha. And um, Carpenter's version is actually closer to that short right, story, right? Yeah. Which I have read, and um, both of those directors, Carpenter and. Well we'll discuss the director of this film in a minute. Uh brought a lot of stuff out of the material because there's not a lot of there there. Well, the issue is that if you really want to make a great possession novel, you have to invest a lot of uh time in the characters. Yeah. So that you know when someone's acting out That's of the ordinary yeah.
0: yeah, you can and, it's way easier to do it visually than it is right. to it on the page, I think, probably.
1: Probably. And so when one of the characters goes off, and you start looking at him, going, "Is that the person who's possessed by the alien?" Um, it was much simpler to do a, a visual thing, yeah, like Carpenter did with the, the blood that runs backwards away from a he, uh, heated uh,
0: right. wire. Yeah.
1: So his version is closer to the book. Howard Hawks' produced version of the film, which is the one that we're watching, yeah, is not quite as close, but. It has a lot of character. You really worry about whether these guys are going to pull out.
0: Yeah, I'm actually surprised that as a kid you liked this movie because there's mm-hmm. not that much action uh-huh. in it, really. Right? There's a lot of tension. That's yeah, kind of I mean, what I like. Yeah, I think that there's a mm-hmm. lot of tension. I agree with you. It is thrilling. Like, oh, uh, I, I spoiled it, but mm. it is pretty thrilling. Uh, but... It doesn't I don't know if this would translate to me as a child going, I'm worried for all these men. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the women. And the women, I and guess. Those two very I'm not worried smart about any women. of those women. That's the thing. They're badasses. I'm not worried about them. Which was but, also I something, mean, as a kid, yeah. there's it's a lot of talking and people communicating that uh-huh. they're worried with words. Right. Which I don't know if as a kid I would have I would have taken in as being Tense.
1: Well, there's something else too, actually, now that I think of it, in my childhood. House I lived in as a kid, not the one that you visited, Mm, but the house just before this. Incident. I straight lived in. (laughs) But go ahead. Right. We visited that. (laughs) On Logan Street, it was this duplex.
0: Okay.
1: It was two little bungalows that were joined in the middle, and they communicated by one long featureless hallway. And the hallway in that that film reminded me so much
0: Oh really? So of the did you live in both sides of it? Did your yeah. family live in both we sides lived in both of it? Sides and then of you it. just had one long weird hallway in the yeah. middle? That's I don't like And that. it was
1: intersected only by the kitchen at one point. And then you're just but nobody lived like for instance, you could start in the living room and walk straight back through the kitchen into the other end of the house without seeing a living soul, because all the bedrooms were off to the sides.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So it was just one
0: long, no lights in this hallway, by the way. Why would you do? Well, because uh, if you put lights in a hallway, then you have a chance for all the lights to go off as you get there. The scary thing that they do in every hot horror movie.
1: But I think that also reminded me a lot of my house as a kid. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, this is there's the constant slamming doors. You don't know what's going to show up behind one of them. And this is one of those films that actually gets better on multiple viewings because they pull sight gags and they pull Mm -hmm. a lot of sound gags Yeah, where you don't, like um, the most famous one, and unfortunately has been spoiled a lot, is the fact, um, I was watching George Romero talk about this today, how many, it's like on the second viewing you're watching every time someone opens a door because you know there's a huge jump scare where the creature shows up behind the door and just takes Mm. a swing at our heroes Mm. and so the second viewing you're going wait what was that is that in the beginning I know it's
0: happening but I don't know when exactly Right. right
1: but yeah it was a really it was a a fun film to watch so I'm really looking forward to discussing it
0: yeah Okay, let's start. Let's start with the making of the film.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Production company, Winchester Pictures Corporation, who is led by, or which is led by Howard Hawks. Right. And that is the sort of crux of a question about this movie. Um, a thing that we're going to talk about next month, too, when we talk about Poltergeist. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> but... The... Uh, the director of name on this film is Chris
1: Christian niby
0: Chris Nyby. Uh
1: huh. And Chris Nyby.
0: It is thought that it uh-huh. is possible that Howard Hawks directed the film, and gave Nyby the credit and a pittance, like one tenth of the of the directing fee, mm-hmm. so that he could get his uh, is it Dag? Yeah. <laughs> that's director's guild mm-hmm. card right um and there's a there's a quote this is from the wikipedia page from the director uh at a reunion in 1982 wherein he said this and this this will shed no light just so you know quote did Hawks direct it that's one of the most inane and ridiculous questions i've ever heard and people keep asking that it was Hawks' style. Of course it was. This is a man I studied and wanted to be like. You would certainly emulate and copy the master you're sitting under, which I did. Any- and then So that that sounds like I directed it. I just made it mm-hmm. look like one of his movies. And then he says this. Anyway, if you're taking painting lessons from Red Brit, you don't take the brush from the master's hands which means i did not direct it that is <laughs> those two sentences like the the beginning and end of that 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 whole quote mm-hmm. directly contradict each other so that's why people keep asking dude because oh. nobody f-ing knows
1: <laughs> howard winchester hawks by the way not a winchester it's his middle name but he came from a like a, a family that ran paper mills apparently <laughs> anyhow that's um fun. but to tell the the um, audience, the listeners, for those of you who aren't familiar with it or who don't watch TCM or something, Howard Hawks is a huge deal. Yeah, big deal. Big, big deal. I mean, Scarface, uh, The Barbary Coast, that's another one. Jeez, Louise, I forgot about that film. Uh, bringing Up Baby. He was, he was
0: directing Carrie, from 1916 right. to 1970. Cary Grant so there's not Catherine a Catherine
1: Hepburn and a Dinosaur Fossil. I remember that one, Bringing Up Baby. <laughs> um, he, he really did start Cary Grant's career. Here's Gold Friday was another one. Sergeant York with Gary Cooper. It's just this, he was, The Big Sleep with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. He got them together. Inadvertently, but he did. Um, there is just this ama- gentleman prefer blonde. Uh, Rio Bravo. Uh-huh. So he did, and you can see just in what I'm describing, every single genre. There's westerns, there's yes. adventure films, there's yes. war movies. Back when war movies were a huge genre. Um, excuse me, genre. Um, and lots of screwball romantic comedies. Mm-hmm. Things that you'll find in Howard oh, Hawks movies. A bunch
0: of Marilyn Monroe films.
1: Yeah. Jane Russell. Smart women. Women
0: are sharp, women are confident. Yeah, the women confident. in this movie were awesome. Yeah. But, um, yeah, because uh, there's a quote by uh, John Carpenter talking mm-hmm. about this film saying, and let's get this rec- the record straight. The movie was directed by Howard Hawks, verifiably directed by Howard Hawks. He let his editor, Christian Nyby, take credit, but the kind of feeling between the male characters, the camaraderie, the group of men that has to fight off evil, it's all pure Hawksian. Hawksian.
1: And Carpenter loves this movie. He, uh... What? (laughs) Nothing. Okay.
0: I got confused. Okay. So <clears throat> he directed The Big Sky right after this. And I got excited because I thought it was no, right. a big country. But that's a different, this different thing.
1: But so. yeah, some of the, the films that he's directed are like a list. Red River, uh, which is another one. It's like, good God, these are just masterpieces. And he developed a style that included these sort of very tough, very sharp women. He had a cult to professionalism. Yeah. He likes if he likes you if you know what you're doing. Doesn't like dulls. Doesn't like foolish people. He likes courage. All the characters in his films, what they have in common is even when Cary Grant was being at his most screwball, he at least was a courageous character, or he learned how to become that.
0: Courageous, true, true courage, courageousness. Like I understand the the danger and I do it anyway. Right. That kind of courageousness. Well, that's what. Not his... just I run straight forward into the. Yeah, face, <laughs> and that's
1: something that you get from this film.
0: Yes, I have another question about sure. this film about the naming of the characters in this film. Uh-huh. Or actually, huh, there's a character in this movie whose last name is Voorhees. Is oh, I don't know. That's Friday the Thirteenth is that name from here? I bet it is. I it, bet yeah, it is. I'm that sh- feels like something that it w- would be true. There's um... a. <laughs>
1: If you remember, when uh, in the film Halloween, uh uh-huh. when Jamie Lee Curtis is babysitting the kids, He's they're watch- watching. They're watching that. They're watching the thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm sure th- this really influenced a whole
0: generation, right?
1: To the point to when when
0: well, and Carpenter is, I mean, obviously right. was three years after he did Halloween, right? So when Carpenter <laughs> did his remake, it was considered sacrilegious. It was, yeah, which is wild because. Well, I'm done with people getting mad at people remaking things. I
1: don't... Well, see, and what, what I... The reason why I can appreciate both movies is that I feel that having read the novella, Campbell's version, this kind of nightmarish body horror thing, is much closer to John Carpenter's.
0: Mm-hmm. Which you couldn't really... You, could, you couldn't really do that in 1951.
1: Well, there are scenes in here that are still startling. Sure. Somebody picks up a severed arm and it begins wrapping its fingers. That was pretty mm-hmm. like for 1951 when you were still under the, mm-hmm. the Hays Code. Mm-hmm. That was pushing it a yeah. lot. I, re-
0: I just don't think body horror right. in 1951 is a thing that's no. going to happen in a uh, r- r- commercially released film. Right. <laughs> like maybe maybe in a secret hand it to your friends movie but not something that's going to go in a theater. So, we start in uh, in Anchorage, Alaska. We don't start at the North Pole. We have to get there. We start at Anchorage, Alaska.
1: So, that that's one of the jokes, too, is that the movie, this movie and Carpenter's film are polar opposites. That's right, yes. Because they are, they start at two completely different, different areas of the yeah. earth.
0: And in the book, it's Antarctica, correct? Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it makes more sense, too, in 1951 for them to do it this way because it also means that we have more people probably. And yes. we understand how we got there. We're not
1: we also mm-hmm. understand that there's a and there's this is something that's been commented on, uh that there's a suggestion that this could be an anti communist yes. message. Absolutely. And so the idea of the Russians being so close to um
0: Alaska. We Alaska, which see in it, the, apparently.
1: apparently yes. It's it's highly visible. But uh that's I, probably the reason why they moved it there.
0: Oh before we start actually with the plot plot, mm-hmm. let's start with the opening credits. The opening Yeah. The title card. You said it's the first time the some there was
1: creative use of credits, but this kind of weird jagged imagery and the theremin score in the background, this was completely
0: the um different the image the 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 font is the same. A uh, carpenter uh-huh. uses the font, and this thing is basically what like a piece of plywood where they cut out. Yeah,
1: from what I understand, yes. And there's a the very thing, heavy reflective the word, surface. The yeah. thing
0: and then they they project image through mm-hmm. it. It's very cool. Yeah, Anchorage. Ned Scott, a very tall bald man who is a reporter. He is uh, visiting the Alaskan Air Command's uh, officers' club, uh, looking just looking for a story, I guess. Which is wild, but I guess if you're a reporter in Anchorage, Alaska, there Probably are three places fine. you can go to find <laughs> a story in this scene. Especially place. in 1951, <laughs> and we look. That was the other thing is there's a scene where they're in Anchorage and right. they're walking through, and it is all Quonset huts, and I'm yeah. like. Uh, Anchorage, Alaska, is like a whole ass city, and you're mm. like, it is now. And I was like, oh, oh shit, <laughs> like, it's crazy because it is like not. Nope. It is not a city in any way that you would recognize in in this. Um, at least in the film, I don't right. know where they did they film in Anchorage. Well, did actually,
1: you know the. Um... They took a background plates of Nome, Alaska, and they were trying to. Oh no!
0: Yeah, Nome is still very small and, okay. and so out of the way.
1: They asked to use the U.S. Air Force's facilities there. Director did, and uh, the Pentagon, in September fourteenth, nineteen fifty, wrote them a letter. Uh, the script of Winchester Pictures' proposed production, the thing, has been reviewed. And it is regretted that we will not be it is, yeah. It is regretted that we will not be able to extend cooperation to the, as the story revolves around flying saucers and their possible contents. <laughs> the Air Force has maintained the position for some time that there are no such objects as flying saucers and does not wish to be identified with any project that could be interpreted as perpetuating the myth of the flying
0: saucer. Methinks that would just protest too much, especially because now in twenty twenty two the Air Force is like. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, there's like, shit flying around yeah. up here and we don't know what the fuck it is.
1: So also, the Air Force seriously objects to any mention of Air Force personnel and equipment or pictorial sequences representing the Air Force personnel and equipment. That's why, because now you film. just
0: wouldn't be able to make the movie. Right.
1: <laughs> and this says, provided your company plans to proceed on the production without Air Force cooperation, we request every consideration be given to Air Force objections in the interest of maintaining goodwill and relations. Wait a minute. And this
0: was That that's last any sense. Hey, fuck you guys. And also if you decide to do it anyway, fuck you. <laughs> like, wait a minute. And the
1: Air Force also the Air Force also dispatched a wire to the commander in chief, Alaska Theatre, stating their objections. And that's um so they gave him this letter. They wound up filming a lot of it, I think, in Montana. Where it was mm. nice and cold and flat.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I'm told. Um <laughs> Yes. That's, that's my understanding of i told by well. a
1: person great authority. Uh, but they uh, they were going to go so far as the Air Force was willing to put themselves involved in the film, or be involved with the film, as long as, at the very end, you find out that one of the officers is dreaming, and this is all a dream that he had. And Howard
0: Hawks <laughs> told them to go, fuck himself, Pretty and made this movie Anyways, right. That's Yeah, that would be that would
1: just be so the terrible. most like... disappointing. There's a film called The Beast with Five Fingers, which is a horror film from sometime before this about a, a, a man whose severed hand comes back to, and there's wonderful special effects in the film. There's a great performance by Peter Lorre being haunted by the... the oh,
0: what a good guess.
1: Yeah, and then in the end of the film, the last two or three minutes, someone literally turns the camera and explains that this was all inside of his head. Isn't it funny, ha ha ha? And it just kills the hey, everything else in the film.
0: You know what a movie is? Right. This was a movie. It was all pretend. Ha. Mm. Well, I will say mm. we haven't really gotten much better because the orphanage or orphanage, right? Where they tacked on that scene at the the last scene, but only in American audiences. That was like. Right. This is what you've just seen, and this is how you should understand that last scene that you just saw. Well, she died.
1: <laughs> Hitchcock I don't even know if he shot it. The scene in Psycho at mm. the very end where Simon Oakland's he's oh, playing yeah, he a
0: gives up there for
1: almost ten minute long speech about how transvestites are not harmful. To be fair, that is that, good that's that important. they did that. Also but then it goes on to just explain everything that you've just seen, and yeah, it's it, it kind of it doesn't kill the movie, but it certainly does go well.
0: All right, You ground to a screeching halt. <laughs> right. Great. Um, so I get lost in. Here's my problem with this movie. Mm-hmm. I really liked it. I enjoyed watching it. I liked all the characters. Uh, their names, I—they're just all these white dudes, and I don't know who is who. So that's where I'm going to get lost. So Ned Scott is our reporter. Mm-hmm. He is a tall, bald—that's who I know. Then we meet Captain Pat Henry, 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 his co-pilot Eddie Dykes, who is a friend of uh, uh, Ned Scott, the journalist aforementioned. Uh, Flight Navigator uh, Mac McPherson, General Fogerty orders Hendry, <laughs> kind of to get him out of the, out of his, ha- out of his hair. It feels like right. it's almost a little bit of punishment. Hey, you need to fly up to it's two thousand miles north.
1: Jesus, uh, Alaska's very big. <laughs>
0: You have to fly up there and check out what's going on, because they say they, there might have been a crash or something. An aircraft Make something. sure everything's okay before the storm comes. You'll be back here tomorrow. In, I'll see you in 24 hours, basically. And I'm like, they have to fly, fly 4,000 miles in 24 hours? That's rough. Right. Now, <laughs> this
1: also makes sense in the context of the Cold War. They thought it could be a Russian aircraft, yes. and we can salvage parts, or we can yes. learn, you know.
0: Yeah. Uh, they certainly of? are not thinking extraterrestrial at this point no. so he's going to go up check out what's going on and then report back and he's going to bring the mm-hmm. reporter to give the reporter some kind of something to do right uh, so he goes and he's excited to go up there because there's a, he's got a lady friend and he's very excited to see his well the uh,
1: here's the thing he has a lady friend they apparently all the last time they were up there he uh, Captain uh, Hendry is it Captain Henry? Yeah. Yeah. A uh, Pat, as he's referred to in the Pat. film, he got a little bit too drunk and possibly a little too handsy.
0: Oh no! Don't touch her. <laughs> she said that he was. Oh, that's know. why he. She ties him up later. Right, and that's why know. she ties. She ties him up later and feeds him. It's pretty funny. <laughs> and she apparently drank
1: him under the table. Is what happened. Um, and you need so, to
0: learn how to drink that well if you're going to be in the North Pole. Right.
1: Because. It's cold. So Fogarty is the guy who becomes kind of like the comic foil that you don't see after those opening scenes. He doesn't want to be there. He's constantly complaining, close the door, which was the gag that wound up on Murphy Brown when they're all sitting in the bar. Oh, yeah. And there's the the door that someone leaves open. It just lets a little light in it. It's like, no, they want to be in the darkness. But in this case, they want to keep the warmth inside the room. Inside, yeah. And that yeah. becomes important later because you start realizing, oh shit, all the doors are closed. You'll never, that's why all the doors are closed. No one's yeah. going to ever leave a door open in the Arctic.
0: No. No, um, that's that's how you die.
1: And this is the deep Arctic at this point when they get to the station,
0: so yeah. Yeah, so he f- they fly up there. We do see a little scene of them like having hot cocoa or whatever mm-hmm. in the flight. Like, it's a long flight. Which I'm glad that they had a scene on the plane because I was like, no you guys, 2,000 miles is like a really long way. That's like a six-hour flight.
1: And they bring the sled dogs with them on the flight. Yeah. Don't get attached.
0: Aww. Uh Dr. Arthur Carrington is the next person I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. He is a Nobel laureate and a dipshit. <laughs> you can be both. It turns out you can be both of well, those and things. And here's
1: something that's interesting that's also always brought up in this film is... is Hawks and Navy, are they taking the side of the military versus the scientists? And what's your opinion? Because I'm interested. Oh, that's interesting. Okay,
0: so the scientist is a he's independent, right? Mm -hmm. Or he is working with an institute, an educational institution, or something, or or non governmental. He's non governmental, right? And then. The military is, by definition, governmental, right?
1: Right. I don't so, think yeah, that's a they bit come big
0: down crushing. on th- certainly Carrington is outside of the alien, the mm-hmm. bad guy. Right. He makes choices that gets people killed. And he knows that he makes choices that are going to get people killed. He does not Care he is putting his scientific scientific knowledge over the health and safety of, uh, you know, all humanity. If he's not careful,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, and I think that they definitely show him in that light. Uh, the The military looks dumb as shit. Well,
1: that's <laughs> so, kind of what Fury is supposed to represent. It's like they're constantly calling to him for guidance, and he tells them to do what they've already done. For one thing. Yes. There's a lot of
0: that. There's a lot of... Redundancy. There's a lot of redundancy. Mm -hmm. You see Pat is good at his job because Pat listens to everybody. Right. Everybody's input and then does whatever makes the most sense. He doesn't... He's not like, well, you're under me or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to listen to your ideas. If somebody has a good idea... He does that, and and he also knows I'm gonna to have to get approval on X, Y, and Z, and I'm gonna word it in a way. He also knows he's two thousand miles from anybody. Right. That's six hours of fly time. So I'm gonna word it in a way that says, "Hey, I think it might be a good idea. You know, you you might you might think it's a good idea if we do X, Y, and Z. I've already done X, Y, and Z. Right. Now you can go ahead and tell me that it's fine that I did X, Y, and Z." Um. And he's got underlings, people under him, who know, specifically, what is the one that's really smart? And Dewey
1: Martin in the- <laughs> is a character actor. He plays Bob the crew chief. Bob. He does not even have an accelerated rank in here. Yeah. But he's really sharp.
0: He's a problem solver. Right. He can see sort of the quickest, safest way to deal with these and issues. And what's
1: cute about their relationship Right. And we were talking about male relationships. We were talking about The Guns of Navarone also. Yeah. Um, what's this ki- is less kissy. This, yeah, this is less okay. romantic than that film. But um, uh, the crew chief, Bob, when he talks to Pat, he says things like, it's almost, a, I, I think he's probably been there a long time. Yeah. So he says Even things like. it seems. 23? Right, but I, something like a uh, year I guess, in the Arctic, I guess. Two I guess. months is a long right. time
0: in the Arctic. Yeah, I know. I guess that makes sense.
1: But he said uh but he says to him often he makes a suggestion to Pat Pat goes, "I think you're right." And it's like, "Well, that's a good idea that you had, Captain."
0: Yes. Right. He turns and it around so that he because he knows, and I don't think it's true of Pat, but no, probably I think it's probably true of literally that's everybody That's what I mean else. in
1: saying that he's been there for a while, because I think he's used to taking orders.
0: He's used to taking orders. And he's
1: using to, used to having to couch it as the other person's idea. Idea, yeah. And Pat always throws it back at him. No, that, I think that was your idea. I think
0: it was your idea, yeah. And, yes, and it, it's a nice, and he, but he doesn't, like, correct him or... No. Um, or tell him to stop doing it that way because I think he knows this is how he survives. Right. And if I'm not here, other people may not respond the way that I respond. So I'm not going to train him out of the thing that works for him. Right. Right. Exactly. I'm, he's clear. He clearly knows what he's doing. Yeah. I'm just going to let him do the thing, which is good. It is good. But uh, that's
1: kind of the thing that Howard Hawks did really well when he had like these relationships between men where they understand each other and they don't they understand not like a hierarchy although there has to be one in the military but they understand each other on a level where this is what this person does and this is what this person does and i don't trip up what they do but i can suggest something you know yeah and that's what pat does in terms of the the military and scientists thing i really don't think it comes down hard on the side of the, the military as you pointed out. They're often portrayed as kind of bumbling. Bumbling. They don't know what they're doing.
0: They 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 are the reason as much as Carrington's doing Mm -hmm. dangerous things. Right. Ultimately all of the damage that comes about because of dumb shit that the military people do. Right. Like (laughs) And it's really
1: him following orders and like going But uh, you know, I, I don't know
0: if I... But yeah, this is the standard, uh, standard operating right. procedure. That's the problem, y'all. Standard operating procedure doesn't work...
1: In a in, completely a, unique situation. ...in the
0: Arctic, right? when so, a space right. ship has landed. If this is the, there is right. no standard operating procedure that you can rely on for that. They rely on one, and they do blow everything to shit. Right. <laughs> and then melt out an alien. It's very very dumb. Right. So, so okay, we
1: should go back. So there. he gets
0: they get they land and mm. we are introduced to a dozen other people. There's like a dozen scientists. Um there's a couple of cooks. There's Inuit dog handlers, which they do called the Eskimos. Because it's 1951, but we're going to call them Inuit. And then um there's two women at least that we know of. Well, there's three. But the two that kind of have speaking parts are a nurse mm-hmm. and Nikki Nicholson, which I did not know that was her name. And that makes me sad. That is the brunette lady who's very smart and uh, very fetching. And she has that mid-Atlantic accent, which makes me laugh. I'm like, you speak so properly for being out in the middle of nowhere.
1: She uh, is. Yeah, she's a doctor or professor Carrington's as. Uh, like assistant assistant she types up all of these endless lectures that he does apparently
0: and um so then they all get their stuff ready to go and then they fly out to the area where the crash has happened Mm -hmm. and they find a big object buried in the ice they uh, there's a fin sticking up Mm -hmm. so they're like it's some sort of ship like it's some sort of metal right something
1: now the and first clue that we have that something's wrong, though, is when Carrington shows him photographs. Oh yes, that show that the thing changed direction, like it was trying to avoid crashing.
0: Right. So it was. It wasn't. So it wasn't a meteor.
1: Right. Which right. is the first thought. It's like, okay, this is the reason I called you up here. We're all really smart here on the science. We're
0: scientists. Uh, to science. Hideout
1: <laughs> at the yes. North Pole, where we all get to geek out and be scientists together, but. This is puzzling because it changed direction before it crashed.
0: Right, which means it wasn't like you said, like you right. said, not a meteor. Yeah. Or something, some other thing that just yeah, plain like so it. It was sentient. There was some sentience to it. Right. To the way that it. Now, happened.
1: mind you, this is what a few years after the Roswell
0: crash. Mm, is it? Yeah. When is Roswell? Nineteen forty-five. Uh, Forty-seven, I think. When was the book written? 1947, you're right. 1947, and that had gotten so
1: far as the press, with this notion of a crash-flying saucer with inhabitants. So this was re- this film was really informed by a lot of what was going on at the time. Uh, the novella
0: was written in 1938.
1: hmm So it's kind of putting together that, that yeah. recent kind of um, so,
0: incident. So... They spread out to see, and they keep using the same line over and over again. Mm -hmm. Something like "it's just a dark shape under there," and then "it's just a dark shape under there." And I'm like, "Yeah, yes." (laughs) Say it differently. It's weird. So they spread out, and they realize it's a circle. So they've got a saucer Mm -hmm. shape. And which is the thing the Air Force was very (laughs) averse to. If they just made it shaped like something else, I bet that the Air Force would have been fine with it. Um, And they decide that the way that they're going to excavate this thing that is buried in ice, Mm -hmm. sunk down a little bit, like there's a sunken area, which that was the other thing. I was like, why do you guys need to look around I could look from where they landed the plane and thought the area is sunken and round. It's a round shape <laughs> sunken down into the ice. The way that they're going to get it out is thermite.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Y'all. Thermite,
1: by the way, is a pyrotechnic <laughs> composition of metal powder and metal oxide. When ignited by heat or chemical reaction, thermite undergoes an exothermic reduction oxidation reaction <laughs>
0: <It's> like, <laughs> more
1: words <laughs> <laughs> most varieties are not explosive but can create brief bursts of heat and high temperature in a small area yes so i think if it had been made of earth metal maybe it was a sound that's mode. the
0: thing you don't know what this thing is right let's it. it says it's not an explosion explosive except right. It definitely it blows fucking
1: the is. hell out of the space.
0: The idea is that if we heat this stu- or light this stuff up, it'll melt the ice and then it'll just be in a pool of water. and I'm mm. like, you have a Nobel laureate, and you he doesn't know that that is not how this is going to go. This thing landed how long ago, and it's already in a solid sheet of ice. You're not going to make a lake that's right. not it was all- it was just a lake. if that's mm-hmm. what was going to happen when this thing crashed. All the ice would have melted and then reformed, right? And it's been 12 hours. Right. There's You're not, this isn't going to work. Oh, so stupid. But they set the charges. They do blow the hell up out of everything. The, we don't know what the spaceship was made out of because it is destroyed and then sinks down into the ice and is gone. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, in the novella, it was the spaceship's hull is made of magnesium. So it literally just like catches fire when they, they set up the bomb.
0: Yes. It's a, there's a violent reaction with whatever the metal alloy is right. because they don't know because it's from space. Mm-hmm. And they destroy the thing entirely. Um, they've got a Geiger counter out, and, uh, and that allows them to find a frozen body buried nearby, which they decide not to use thermite after a discussion. Right. I was like, y'all. You literally just, you literally just destroyed an alien spacecraft mm-hmm. with the thermite. Maybe put the thermite away. Maybe we don't use that on this particular expedition. But no, they want to get that out. They're like, no, no, no. Smart, smart. They don't. They just carve them out and put them on a sled and we're going back. And... Carrington wants to saw him out and cut him up immediately. That's what Carrington would like.
1: Because they assume that he's dead. He flash-froze out in the Arctic.
0: Yeah, right? they've never heard of a fucking water bear. Well, What is the word? Well, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. What are they called? Um, I've forgotten the actual word for them.
1: Water bear is close enough. Everyone in the audience knows what
0: tardigrade. Yeah, a tardigrade. I was say
1: tachycardia, but that's a No,
0: thing. that's a different thing. It's bad for your hearts. Um, yeah, tardigrade, which is a thing that can live, uh, it can kind of hibernate and go to sleeps. Also, bears.
1: Well, there's, <laughs> what I like about this film, and one of the reasons why I say that it doesn't choose a side in terms of the military or the scientists, is that despite the fact that Carrington later on becomes desperate to preserve the alien at all costs, mm-hmm. And communicate with it because it is, in his words, wiser than us. It's come across the vast gulf of space. Didn't know that it just came here to conquest for conquest. It basically. doesn't know, yeah. He doesn't he, know, what he doesn't his reasons know are. but um, the uh, the alien, the uh, there's a great discussion with two of his fellow scientists, and um, they're both played by character actors like most of the parts in this film, um, and they're arguing. It could have diseases. It could have germs. It could have all there sorts There could of be,
0: issues. yes, viruses or bacteria on it, which y'all could have also been exposed to when you blew its spaceship up. Right. We don't know what survives coming through the atmosphere. We don't know. We right. We don't know. Um,
1: but, yeah, Paul Frees and Paul Frees is one of the two scientists, John uh, Dirkus, who's... Dirkus, I guess, is how you pronounce his name. Paul Fries, who is the voice of half of the Rocky and Bullwinkle characters.
0: Oh, interesting. That's right, yes.
1: And he has this really kind of very melodious voice, and he was used as a... Uh, like, he would do Foley work uh-huh. on countless movies. He apparently was a favorite of Stanley Kubrick's, where he was, you know, every crowd character uh, in, in Spartacus or something. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's you're watching them actively engage in a real scientific discussion. This is actual science fiction. This isn't just you know, a a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and it's like, why are spaceships flying so fast? Never mind. Why are they making sounds in space? Never mind.
0: Yeah, there's no sound in space.
1: Wouldn't something with so lot, that generates that much energy, would that fit in the palm of your hand? Never mind.
0: I mean, maybe. Didn't think this was going to fit in the palm of our hand.
1: Yeah, but a lightsaber that blocks actual... Anyhow. I mean, oh, yeah. no,
0: I don't believe in lightsabers. We don't We don't talk about those in this house. Um, <laughs> so immediately Carrington is like, let's thaw it out. And mm. uh, Pat's like, oh, nope, we're breaking this window and we're going to keep it as frozen as possible for as long as possible until the military tells me what the fuck to do. Uh, also, I don't think we should thaw it myself. So I'm just going to go ahead and say... Until we hear, we're gonna do nothing. And Carrington is rah, 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 mad about it, but he puts military in charge to watch him. Like I said, he broke he, in the storage room. He breaks out the windows, mm-hmm. so it gets super cold in there. Um, and he he puts people on four hour watches, right. and then starts calling back to Fogarty um, at the base to see what they want him to do. But there's a storm coming, so it's hard to get through, and. Um, during this time, um, Bob comes and says, hey, um, we're, we're all real uneasy. The The ice is getting very clear and we can see it inside of it. And it's fucked up looking and we don't like it. And um, I think it might be better. Well, you know, you think it might be better <laughs> that we go on shorter uh you know spell each other more or or go in in pairs and he's like okay, well let's do 2 hours you break him after 2 hours and I'll come to see you at at midnight he's going to go out that's when bob says it's a good idea you have and pat's like that was your idea <laughs> while pat is wooing his lady friend the people one of the, whoever's doing the watch gets extra wig down and throws blanket over the ice thing and it is an electric blanket and it does thaw him the rest of the way out
1: every every time i think of an electric blanket
0: this is what you see this is what
1: i see it's like no those things are dangerous they'll kill you
0: they'll raise monsters i think if you throw an electric blanket on a block of ice Mm -hmm. you're gonna have a bigger problem than you thought you thought out the, the, the right. space man. I think your actual problem is going to be electrocution of some sort. But I think it must have been insulated or something. Maybe I don't. Yeah, and this thing, especially because this thing, spoiler alert, doesn't do well with electricity. Right. Uh, but it does not get electrocuted in, for whatever reason. So it uh, it does escape. It does escape, and now we're sort of stuck. They the they were they are not flying back. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's a storm coming. Of course, there is. Must ratchet up the tension. And,
1: and every time you look out the door, there's an interesting visual trope that, for instance, Kurosawa used to use a lot, uh-huh. which is to have like wind machines constantly going in the background in films like your Jimbo and Sanjuro, and then later on that got to be the typical windblown western town yeah. in um, in Sergio Leone's movies. That landscape is really present. It's hostile. Yeah. This place is really hostile. Yeah. And you get that sense that oh no no no, no one's going back out into that to uh to try to fly an airplane. It's
0: Yeah, no, they're not gonna yeah, they're not gonna fly out of there. Right. So the uh, the creature gets out, um, but it goes it goes basically directly to where the dogs are and um they attack him, which is wild because sled dogs are not attack animals. Like they're trained not to do that mm. shit, but I you know, maybe they smelled alien and
1: Well, they smelled something that basically they'd never smelled before and it yeah. was very foreign and also
0: And they it may have tried to attack them. It first. is. It, yeah.
1: And that's one of the things that happens because it, it um it carries off one of the sled dog bodies.
0: Then? I thought it came back for that, but you might be right. Um here though, it loses an arm. Mm-hmm. The dogs pull off its arm, and so they bring that back, and then the scientist has something to play with, which he's very excited
1: okay. about. So, at this point, I'll point out that the creature is played by James Arness. Okay. And for those of you who don't know, James Arness later found fame playing Marshall Dillon on Gunsmoke. I've never seen Gunsmoke. For 20 years. And it was an amazing, it was a really remarkable TV show. But he, yeah, six foot seven.
0: Oh, he's a big man.
1: Yes. And as a matter of fact, he would do films with actors like John Wayne and things like that. I think he was the tallest... I'm
0: sorry. His character's name was Matt Dillon. Is Matt Dillon called Matt Dillon because of Marshall Dillon? It
1: might have been called Matt Dillon what? because of Matt... Because again, <laughs> you know. And it was... It was... He's a really interesting guy in that he really did not like... He, he didn't... Never talked about doing the thing later on. And I don't know why. Because it's... It's really funny. Uh, it's a really fun, exciting movie, and he just didn't do it. He apparently was put on. Um, he was retained for seven hundred and fifty dollars with a four week guarantee, and a thousand dollar petty cash voucher was given to him in advance, and a salary extension clause of eight days beyond the completion date as an inducement not to take any other jobs because he was working as an extra for oh, yeah. every time somebody wanted a gag know what? with a really with big a guy.
0: Big guy, right?
1: So he was taking that and. They just told him, no, we need you in the studio. You're going to be working with a makeup guy. The makeup guy was one of those people who didn't work from sketches. He worked directly on your face. And so there are literally dozens of pictures of Matt Dillon. I mean, Matt.
0: Nope. James Arness. James
1: Arness in these different configurations of makeup. Big puffy heads, huge eyebrows. At one point. You don't even really ever see its face, right? And that's kind of what Does it all looked bad. Is that what well? The that... idea is that they they did one take on it that apparently they make was make it look
0: like broccoli.
1: <laughs> well, well, it was so creepy. They actually ran tubes, transparent tubes, through underneath the latex that it would pump
0: something every time he. Oh, is that sort of what the There's a thumbnail. The thumbnail mm-hmm. for this um, on TCM. Uh, it's like a green guy that you yeah. never see. No, you, you never, never see, very, see that.
1: So he, um, so Lee Greenway, the makeup artist, he worked with him just constantly, uh, trying to come up with a new look. That was James Arnest's whole job: show up here at you know such and such a clock, and I'm going to work on your face, and then we're going to take a look at it, and then we'll rush you over to Howard Hawks' house. There's a really funny story of how driving there. 'Cause obviously Arnest was doubled over and could barely, you know, look, or could barely, you know, couldn't drive, so Lee Greenway is driving in there. And they stop at a stoplight and Greenway hears this woman screaming hysterically because she looked over to her left and there's James Arnest, all six foot seven of him, tucked over in the car with his horrible green face with pulsing goo,
0: you know. Um, it seems deeply unscary to me, but I'm also this, in 2022, not in right. 1951.
1: <laughs> and so I think the idea of not showing that the creature was good. It was good. It took advantage of really his the, the best feature from Arnest, which is his huge height. I mean, the next tallest leading actor was probably, working in Hollywood at the time, was Gary Cooper, who was six 6'6". Six, yeah. And everyone's always on boxes and ramps around him. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's so funny to think of this guy who, who was like such a part of my childhood is like, wait, that was the
0: monster? Yeah. Um, what the monster is, is a plant. The monster is a plant, y'all. So they cut up the arm, and he's full of, it's an advanced form of plant life. And so Carrington is like, well, it's smarter than us. And he talks about, like, how if instead of, you know, a chimpanzee, well, is the, that where he starts? I think he starts
1: earlier than that. He, he might start, start with start the primates.
0: He might start with, like, algae over mm-hmm. whatever amoeba, fish amoeba.
1: Right. I think he goes fish to reptile to mammal or something of that nature. But his whole notion is if evolution had started with the plants.
0: Yes. And he, it, which and the is the same kind of evolution right. to get it to a humanoid, because it is still humanoid. Right. It has two arms, two, and legs. two legs, which makes those no sense. But I love <laughs> but his his whole take was on played it. Played by James Arness, so it <laughs> had to have two arms and two legs. Um, uh,
1: his whole take on it, it's like without the mess of emotions or the weird sort of sexual rituals that we do for courtship. I mean, he's very frank about it. And yeah, you would understand. Gosh, that's that's impressive. And they're large and scary.
0: Yes. Well. So he wants to communicate with it, and mm-hmm. so everybody starts looking for it. Um, they do. They look. They start at the greenhouse, which makes <laughs> makes sense, y'all. And um, there's a discovery of the third sled dog, um, which has been drained. Of all of its blood, because this thing does survive on blood, which makes it, I think, the opposite of (laughs) Benicula. Right. Right? Benicula was a rabbit who was a vampire, but as a vampire of vegetables, and it would suck all of the, the color, like the vegetables would just turn white. I don't know what it was sucking out of there, but all of the chlorophyll and, and coloring. And this thing is a plant that does that to animals, (laughs) Oh, rude. Then Carrington and the scientists take that information and do some bad shit with it. And they're, they're both of them are sort of setting up little watches to like no, try yeah. and catch it. The airmen want mm-hmm. to capture it and then contain it somehow. Right.
1: Well, they want to establish a community because uh, Carrington's notion is that it is it is intelligent. We should yeah. communicate with it. We can learn a great deal from it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all through the film, there's an emphasis put on the fact that he has not slept.
0: Yeah, he's like, really since tired. Something has landed, yeah. and
1: at one point, this is after we see that he's actually developed seedlings from this thing.
0: Yeah, we're not there yet. Yeah,
1: and he's feeding them through tubes. We're told. Uh, well, you go ahead.
0: Well, uh, yeah. So the next day, everybody's still looking. Mm-hmm. Um, the the communications officer, whose name is Tex, and has a drawl uh lets everybody know that he that he got through to the general Fogarty is aware of the discovery and wants more information but now they can't get him more information because now they're like full storm, right? Mm-hmm. And then one of the is it one of the airmen appears and he's really injured and he says that the the creature has killed two other people and then they go to investigate and they are attacked by the alien. But they managed to barricade it inside of the greenhouse,
1: which is one of the great jump scares, I think.
0: Yes. (laughs) At which point, then uh, Pat goes to Carrington and is like, "You have to stay in your lab, and you can't come out. Like Mm -hmm. you, it's everything's dangerous. You are a Nobel laureate. We're not going to lose you on top of everything else. Like you're right now, the most valuable thing." right here so you need to stay locked up. I think he also tells this lady that she needs to stay locked up so that she well, stays safe.
1: Is this after she informs him about what Carrington's up to or is that happening Oh,
0: I don't remember how that cuz she reads all of his notes so she does sort right. of narco on him. And she bit.
1: but but she has to because yeah. it's you know he his he's getting there anyhow. Pat is a smart guy. Yeah, he is. And so when he is sending that guy who got injured to the nurse and there's not enough blood. There's no
0: blood. That's right. right. Yeah. He he needs a blood transfusion, but there's right. no blood. The, like, their blood bank, which right. they have, is uh, depleted. And he goes, so he's I like, just
1: did a run a month ago, Yeah, back when
0: I got drunk and crazy. Yeah, right. But that run, we brought all this plasma, plasma up to you, right. and it's gone now. Where it's is it? It's gone. Where is it? Uh, so it turns out that Carrington is uh, drip-feeding little seedlings, because he's... He's a person who understands biology. He cut up that arm and now he's got a bunch of baby baby aliens. And, and really cutting it up blood. Is the
1: only thing that you can well, we later on learn that there's another thing you can do, and that's made Nikki is the one who saves the day because she's the one who makes the suggestion. Um but shooting it Well, is, but
0: cutting it up is not hurting it necessarily. Well, yeah, it's it's it, taking out this one, but it's making a bunch more. So the, it's not yeah.
1: Because what I should have mentioned earlier is that shooting it doesn't do a hell of a lot of good.
0: No, because it's like, it's basically like a big broccoli. Right. It doesn't have organs. um, It doesn't have, like, it's got weak spots, but not, it it won't bleed. Like, it's not going to.
1: Yeah, it it has like sap or something. Yeah, it's It's, not going to take
0: injury. You've got to cut it up. You could grind it. I guess, right? You can burn it or explode it. What are the other things? That's about it. That's, well, that's what you can do. Yeah. So a thing without like cutting its head off probably won't do much.
1: Because the head will grow into something else. The, and the body head and the body
0: will now have you know Right. We don't know what the, consci- where the is consciousness of it resides, or if it's a cellular consciousness. Yeah, we don't, and it's, it's
1: probably a cellular consciousness because right. if you remember when the scene where they, they lift up the, the severed arm of the. Yeah. Of the
0: oh, that's right. And, it,
1: and um, it starts reflexively like wrapping its knuckles. By the way, its knuckles are covered in thorns. That's right. Yeah. And that scene where, um, where they open the door and suddenly get it, it. Kind of backhands and yeah. it takes out part of the door frame. It's
0: very strong. Yeah. It's very tough. Like a walk like a Groot.
1: Yeah. It's it's yes, the
0: original Groot. Not so nice. And uh so Pat now knows that Carrington has made a bunch of baby aliens. Um Fogarty tells them to keep them alive, right. which is not really what Pat wants to hear, but he's gonna do what he's told. And then it, it, it breaks because so it's contained in the greenhouse and then it mm. breaks out of the greenhouse.
1: And so that leads to probably one of the more amazing scenes put on film up until that point. Yeah. And so it's still kind of shocking.
0: It attacks them. It comes to their quarters and attacks them. And they, were they preparing to do this? or
1: Yes, because they were trying to figure out what to do. Like how do you kill a vegetable, right? Yeah, and then Nikki, who's... you roast it,
0: right? You roast it, you fry yeah, it, yeah, bake it, yeah. She's like, you, you cook, you cook it, you have right. to cook it. <laughs> um, that's right. Yeah, there's like a whole food conversation there. Because um, what I
1: find very funny is that the military guys can't think of what to do. The scientific guys who are with them, you
0: know, on this can't think of what to well, do. They don't want to think right. about what. To do. But I, I think that, that some of them are, you know. Yeah, some of yes. Once people start mm-hmm. dying, I think that Carrington right. stands alone in his uh, absolute ism on, right. on the side. Because the
1: creature comes back and kills two of the scientists. They yeah. lose two
0: of their own. So yeah. now they're like, okay. So now he, they uh-huh. see Carrington putting this thing above them and they're like, no, nah, right. fuck that. No, 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 no.
1: Oh. I am gonna be the what? I'm gonna be the cannon fodder for you? Uh, no, it's not gonna happen.
0: So, the, the military guys douse um, it in kerosene and light it on fire, and it's a wild scene because they did douse that man in kerosene and light him on fire, and uh, so that, I promise you that uh-huh. the actor was covered in asbestos, so. and he's lucky that he lived to 88. <laughs> Tom Steele was the stunt man because James Arness oh. is like no. <laughs> no, 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 no never mind okay let me see when he died yeah, because
1: and he was a very tall stunt man and they padded him out to sort of be the wide broad-shouldered uh, figure that uh, Arness was and he doubled Arness he was protected by uh, from the flames by asbestos covering i i know you didn't have to
0: tell me his I head
1: know. makeup was made of fireproof plastic and he was able to you know to...
0: why it was fireproof right cuz there was asbestos in it
1: he was able to breathe through tubes, which I'd never thought of, which ran from his away, nostrils.
0: as far away from that flame as possible, because
1: right. it's going to be really hot. And they choreographed it, but they still, uh, two stuntmen had burns as a result. Um, because that scene, which is really brief, is the first major fire stunt ever tried. It was the first time anybody set a whole person on fire.
0: It's insane. It's nuts. It's
1: You know, there had been things with like a Frankenstein, the the monster's sleeve catches fire or something. That was what it was. But this is a, the guy is a human torch, literally. Yeah. And um, some of the actual actors are on set and you can just see like how dangerous this is. So he lived
0: to be 81. Okay. So still pretty good. Let me see what he died of. It doesn't say. So. Hopefully it was not mesothelioma, but it could have been. Uh, Yeah, asbestos is bad, y'all. But it is fire resistant. (laughs) That is true. So what ends up happening then?
1: And also something else I like that I'll, before we go on adding it to it, is that the characters who get burned, I think Pat has a wrapping around his hand the entire rest of the film, like he's been burned. There's
0: good, yeah, yeah continuity, and it's, like and it's which is nice because it doesn't take place over more than what twenty four hours. Right,
1: it's a very short. period of time. It's a short time, period so. of time. Yeah, so they okay. set it
0: on fire, and it goes out into the storm. Right. Then what?
1: And then they retreat to the station's generator room to keep warm because it's closed. It, it the uh, it's
0: opening. Is it opening right. windows or breaking things? The creature is.
1: Uh, it, Yes, it is. It's doing that. It's attacking well, the generator.
0: Gotcha. So
1: that now they're in a situation. Oh, and
0: the furnaces. Yeah. I see. He he sabotaged the furnace. So
1: what? This again is the danger of it being an intelligent creature. Right. It's not you know a big dumb monster. It is, and th- this this part of the film actually the the indoor scenes were filmed on a a uh, ice house in Los Angeles. The same thing that Frank Capra did uh, in Lost Horizons when he had people climbing up the Arctic. He built a stage inside of an ice house.
0: I'm sorry, is an ice house where people buy ice from? Because mm-hmm. there weren't freezers? Because there weren't freezers in 1951. Well, I think there were transitions. shit, man. Yeah, yeah. no, it would be a transition. But that's what an ice house is, right. right? Just people who make ice to sell with those big tweezers. Those and they haul it. There's a big
1: guy with muscles and he hauls muscle? it up your staircase. Yeah, all those things that you see in the old movies. Y'all. Um, I think that, um, yeah, it really becomes effective when you're watching them uh, walk around and they're literally kind of exhaling um, like smoke. Right. And that Frank Happer did that for Lost Horizons. he built a set in there. It's so so that that we're, so we're climbing it's the mountain
0: really yeah.
1: Howard Hawks did it here and Christian Nybe. Uh, William Freakin will do it later on with uh, the Exorcist. The
0: Exorcist, okay, that Where, makes sense, right? That's right. a real easy way to get that effect. It's yeah, like, it's, it's just cold, <laughs> but they didn't it's like cold. it too
1: much. But uh, so now they're dealing with an intelligent creature who's going to to get them.
0: And Carrington still doesn't want them to kill it, but mm-hmm. um, oh, they said they're gonna ele- they're gonna zap him, right? Right, they're, they're gonna electrocute him.
1: And what they decide to do is to—it's um, like Jaws, right? You have, <laughs> <laughs> but before Jaws. you have the uh, electricity running on a current
0: uh-huh. through
1: all these lights that are powering the station. Mm-hmm. If they turn out the lights, if they reduce it to this one spot,
0: they can it just over overloads the right. Gotcha. They're going
1: to put a grate of a, a grate underneath the uh, to, to, so that it. Right. All the way through they also have the advantage of knowing where they are. So there's a single doorway where they can make sure that leave that door open. He goes through that doorway. We get him. Yeah. So that's what the the plan is. Now, as they make up that plan, there's little things that get in their way. At first, they don't think they can actually electrify uh, the um, the walkway that okay. he's going to walk on. But then they get overcome that, and there's the, these neat kind of impediments uh, that they have. The monster finally does show up, tears apart the door. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the way, his noise was partly, like the book, uh, inspired by a cat yowling, playing at Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah, I could see that, for sure.
1: And that's also why it just sounds so weird. yeah. It's very weird, especially given the size of the creature and everything. Yes, that's true. Um, So he comes through the doorway, and uh, he's backlit. Uh, so they're trying to get him to stand on the walkway, and then uh, Carrington. Carrington comes leaping over uh, the men who barricades, him, just leaping, and it makes more sense when you understand
0: that he's actually about 25 years old in real life. That's the thing. He's clearly in old age makeup. It's right. distracting. He's wearing the blondest wig. Uh, I mean, I think it's supposed to be white hair, but it just looks like this weird Nordic, it's yeah, I don't distract. Well, I'm uh, just like, what? This is like when they made Guy Pierce old in Prometheus? Like why? I'm not sure exactly why you
1: went with You have all these interesting character actors. What, why did you go with casting a guy in as Robert far as I can understand? Course, wait. It was one list says his early 20s, another one says that he's like 26 or 27. No, he's older than that. Yeah, according to Wikipedia, um He would have been 32. That's, yeah, and it's interesting because according. still
0: way younger than what he's portraying. He's supposed to be in his 60s, I think, in the movie.
1: Right, and that's, but weirdly enough, according to the American. Yeah, Wikipedia says he was born in
0: 1917.
1: American cinematographer, there's an interesting article that we can post by George Turner that just has all these details in the film and claims that he was in his 20s, so it might (coughs) have, I'm not sure exactly how old he was.
0: I'm basing it on the fact that mm-hmm. I assume that the movie film, finished filming in 1950. Mm-hmm. That might not be the case either. I don't know when it was filmed.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, uh, in yeah. any event, he is, it's like, even as a kid, I'm like, wow, he just jumped right over these yeah. military guys. Well, there's a reason for that. Because he's awfully spry, this Yes, yeah. Um, and he tries to communicate with And you with
0: will, as a, as a modern audience member, go, why... Do they have this young person in old-age makeup? It's weird. Yeah, that's going to be one of the <laughs> and things by that... old-age makeup. Uh-huh. Really, I think all they did was put the wig on him and some glasses. I, and then make him dress old. But it's like... What is... this not what this man looks like. What's happening? It's like, um... It's like seeing an old lady in a middle school play. Where you're just like, okay, Mary, I see that you have put that wig on and you have slumped a little bit. <laughs>
1: so... The creature gives the same sort of backhanded, um, it like blow to knocks about the way. right? And then continues, he picks up a like a beam, a four by four, mm. and you're like, Holy cow, that guy's scary. John Brosnan, in the book Future Tense, where he talks about science fiction movies, the mm-hmm. history of science fiction movies, says that, um, this film kind of, if I remember correctly. That scene is like watching an abusive parent with a child, so it resonates in some ways.
0: Oh, interesting. Because it's,
1: it's intelligent. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not like a bear or something. No, it's an, in, you know, bears are intelligent. What am I saying? <laughs> it's not a creature that's marauding and rampaging and it's out to get. No, no. It's an intelligent creature who's intelligent a spaceship. You know, right. It does all this, but has so much contempt for you because it's like,
0: you're if nothing. You're not... You're like a talking
1: sheep to it because you're food.
0: Yeah. Or a yeah. talking
1: chicken, like, blah,
0: blah, 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 blah. What are you... Yeah get, out of, yeah, get out of here. So it just... Get in my belly. Right. So... I don't have a belly because I'm a plant. The alien
1: is approaching them. They, uh, and I think it is Bob who throws something at it to get it to jump Like sort onto of pour it, it right.
0: into the right spot.
1: And back. then it gets electrocuted
0: and is reduced to a pile of ass.
1: Right, and there's a an very interesting photograph from Lee Greenway's collection of pictures that he sent Howard Hawks um, of the makeups of James Arness and then another little person actor.
0: Right, because they have him kind of shrunk down, right. which is not... But then we don't know
1: how it works because he's an alien. The same way that we don't know about the spaceship. Well, no,
0: but I know how when I burn up stick, it doesn't Mm -hmm. just become a smaller version of the same stick and then disappear. That's not how fire works. (laughs) like... That's not... (laughs) I like the idea that when you're dying, you just become a half-sized version of yourself, and well, it, and so.
1: the idea was it's supposed to shrivel, uh, okay, and then turn into sure, a yes, smoking. Hey, hey, this is a
0: Sh- shriveling. I, I, I will stuff. give you. Yeah, I have yeah. I have roasted a vegetable that has come out of the oven significantly smaller than when I put it in. So okay. So I'm, that was I'm back on on board.
1: It eventually, just shrivels do they, into. Do
0: uh, go ahead it. and burn all of those baby aliens? Or
1: yes, they do. They do. At I one point, somebody makes that, the. Or, I, I think Pat or one of them makes the line. Makes a says uh, has a line about
0: getting rid of all the rest of it. Right. Thing. Yeah. I would maybe say one, but then oh, you know how we opened with the journalist. We right. closed with the journalist doing the journalist thing because he's like. He hears that all of the journalists know that there's a spaceship up here, and he's right. like, "No, I'm never gonna get my exclusive story, at all. I'm never gonna be famous." And then he gets to, but he gets to get on the thing, and he gets to go. All of you, right. all you get to tell your outlets from me and the mm-hmm. Associated Press. He's not with the Associated Press, but right. for all intents, the, you know, Reuters, whatever it is, and he reads. Out like he tells the story of a lifetime. He's like, "Gather round, children," and it's he he fucking puts some bass in his voice and like tells a story. And that story was retold by Orson Welles later on the radio and uh, made everybody well scared. But it's he's like, "You need to look to the skies because they're coming." Like it's that's tell
1: the world. He tells everybody whoever wherever they are. Watch the skies everywhere. Keep looking, keep watching the skies. That's the way this the scene fades out and the movie fades out. Yeah, it's very, very uh famous. I had S- so melodramatic, right? <laughs> he's he's melodramatic. <laughs> I mean, he is earlier in the scene.
0: Well, he's like that character for the whole movie. Is he's very... He's, the moping that he does when right. he's like. When he finds out that they're gonna be stuck there right. and he's not allowed to talk to his editor to get something published, he's like, Well now nobody's gonna like I'm not gonna lose my story and I'm saying
1: what's interesting <laughs> Dude. ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, Amity's interpretation of Scotty is actually not far off. She is not exaggerating. He is such a babe. He is a very kind of whiny guy. He starts by complaining about the cold weather. He complains Which about, is wild,
0: because he was stationed in Anchorage, Alaska. Right. Y'all, you know where you are. You see what's happening around you. It's and
1: something horrible. tells me the fact that he uh, knew um, Eddie Dykes yeah. from before, that they had been in the Pacific together. And I'm thinking that maybe his boss wants Scotty to go somewhere far away from him. Yes, please
0: go away from me. Yes, I could see that for and sure. And
1: Scotty is trying to get back into the big time with uh, doing this. Um, so the, the scene where, okay, so that, that's his first problem. Scotty's first problem is I can't get my story out. Yeah. And this is the biggest story ever. Yeah. Right. His second problem is I want to get a picture of the spaceship. Well, it's under ice. He'll get a picture of it when we blow it when out. When we of
0: blow the... it out of there. When no. We when melt all the ice. No, we won't. So no. Yes. Yes. So now he, and he keeps saying.
1: Right. Uh,
0: should we trust the military because they have destroyed an alien, the first known alien spacecraft? Right. Because they were following protocol. <laughs> like, well, he's always which poking. He's not wrong. <laughs> he's poking at Pat, uh, at uh, Pat,
1: Pat all the time. Yeah. Um, and he's sort of kneeling him about about Nikki because uh-huh. everyone's needling him about Nikki. Yeah, which is stupid. Y'all are jealous. Probably she's she's a <coughs> catch. Um, but his uh, there's a, a really funny scene because Hawks, again, bringing up baby, he, he and um, god, how many comedies did he do? I okay. don't, oh, yeah, he's I Was a Male War Bride. I remember
0: that one. That sounds fucking terrible. Oh, but it's actually kind of funny. Okay, uh,
1: his coat fight the only angels have wings. There's a lot of of really kind of funny stuff in what he does. He does. Are
0: you going to talk about their
1: date? Where well, he, she ties him up? She ties him up. Before?
0: And he got handsy before.
1: And he's embarrassed by this, by the way. Good yeah, call. Yeah, he
0: doesn't. He's like, I absolutely should not have done that. And if you feel safer with me tied up, then you should tie me up. And so she does. But then he gets out of
1: it. Well, he's been out of it the whole time. No, not the whole time. We well, see
0: him get out of it. Right. And then she asks to do something, and he, like, cheekily feeds himself a thing. Right. And she's like, how long have you been out of it? <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> which is really kind of... It's... it's Yeah. Like I said, it's cute. Um, but at another point, Scotty is going to take a picture. Of, he wants to take a picture of the creature itself. Which he couldn't do while it was in the eyes. He couldn't do... The scene, the jump scare, the big one with uh, the creature coming out from behind the door. It, um, Scotty has his camera with him. Mm-hmm. They shut the door on um, on the creature's arm. He pulls his arm. You know, the creature pulls its arm back and actually takes out part of the door frame with it, which is crazy.
0: And is that, did it, is that a grown back arm? Did He grow, he grows yeah. back his arm, right? Yeah, that's right.
1: Pat asks, Scotty, did you get your picture? And he's like, well, and then he starts complaining. No, the door wasn't open long enough. And then Pat says, I can open it back up again for you again if you, if you want me to. And hey, he's like, no. Yeah, I'm going to need you to get with it. <laughs> it's like, that was your chance. There it was. And then by the end of the film, uh, there's a a moment where he's just so morose that when they first realize the generator is out, is because Nikki realizes the generator's out. She points it at uh, Scotty and says, "Your breath," and he's like. Well, I'm under a lot of stress lately and I haven't been feeling well. I was just like, "No, you Not, idiot. It doesn't
0: smell it's, bad. I can see it. I
1: can see your breath. What's <laughs> going on? We're all living in the Arctic. We don't have this problem usually." Right. But uh but yeah, he's such a whiny character and I like I I like Nikki so much more. I like Bob, the crew chief. He's really funny. And then as we mentioned, Pat is a great leader of men. I would like to think that they're, you know, If we are facing an alien invasion, there will be a group of professionals that will help take care of it. And it would be these guys. But, gosh, yeah.
0: Yeah, so at the end, though, we are facing an invasion, apparently. Everybody go out and get your flamethrowers ready. (laughs) And then that's, yeah, so that's the end. Thrilling, yes. Uh, who's worse, science or military, it's a draw. I think it's a toss-up. I think it might be
1: a draw. Because the last thing that they get from the... Nobody looks good.
0: Right, from Fogarty. I don't think it's on anybody's side.
1: (laughs) Right. The last thing they get from Fogarty is like, well, um, it's like, keep the alien alive at all costs and I'll be there soon and blah, blah, blah. it's like, what the hell? We're fighting for our lives. Yeah. And we're trying... No, we're not going to keep this alive. We're
0: not doing that, yeah. Uh and Fogerty keeps flip-flopping on what he wants too. Right. So, you get which is fine cuz he doesn't know what the fuck is going on cuz he's not there.
1: No, he lives in a very cold office in Anchorage. <laughs> yes, yes. Where he works there, I guess. But um but yeah, so you you think it's thrilling? I think so. Yeah.
0: It is a lot of though I will say like most of the tension is just is not like on-screen scare. Right. You're just like, oh, they're out there and they're being sabotaged. And so that's scary. And at some point, maybe this thing pops back up. Mm -hmm. But I could also see it, well, depending on how often they need to eat, I could also see it not fucking popping them back up. Like, once they lit it on fire, I could see it just being like, fuck this. I'm gonna go live in the snow. (laughs) (laughs) Like... I'll find polar bears to eat or whatever, but that's not
1: what I, um, yeah, I, yeah, I never thought about that polar bear. It's North Pole. They could do it.
0: Yeah. Uh, so this was released in April of 1951. Mm-hmm. Right. And you saw it a thousand times when you were a child? Yes. It earned $1.9 million, which seems like a lot. Oh, yeah. In 1951. And it beat all the other science fiction films released that year, including a movie that we're going to watch in a month called The Abyss. Still...
1: Yeah, and it's it's very different um, from that yeah. film.
0: Yes. So. Uh,
1: but yeah, it's it's it, it was really fun watching it again with you, because it's such a fun movie.
0: It is, and it keeps its pace going. to eighty-seven minutes long, so you're not. And it and it covers what, sixteen hours. Something like that. So I, it moves more, at a clip. maybe
1: a little bit, a little more, but yes, it, it's it's definitely a limited period of time. And like our last film, it's about isolated people isolated, isolated. In, in a location and trying to make a decision. Yeah, I, apparently it's it's really influential in that it it's been sort of imitated in quite a bit. Not. The remakes aren't really imitations, so to s- uh, but the influence. No, but a lot
0: of the stuff that happens in it.
1: Right. The, the most recent influence I can think of is in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. There's an Arctic research station in Antarctica, and yeah. there's King Ghidra, yeah. the worst of the worst, trapped in the trapped ice. Trapped in the and, ice, and yeah.
0: There's a lot of trapped in the ice, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's how the Alien versus Predator movie goes. Right. Is is Everyone sort of does a little tip of the, the hat ice, to this yeah. film. Because um, tardigrades. Because you can thaw a tardigrade, and right. then it will still be alive. One of
1: the funnier things about the cast of this movie is because Howard Hawks wanted to go with mostly character actors and people who are not who had not had their big break yet. Uh, he went with Kenneth Toby, who's playing Pat, and Kenneth Toby had a career as a, an actor, but not really as a leading man. Until he was older, and then he kept popping up in movies made by John Carpenter and Joe Dante and these other people. When he asked Joe Dante, why do you keep casting me in these parts in these films? He's like, because you saved the world as a kid.
0: Mm. Yeah. You're who I picture when I'm writing these parts. and right. will, You will work for me, so I will hire you.
1: Right, which was really funny. You see him showing up in Single White Female and, and in, I think, most of Joe Dante's films he's in there, along with a couple of other actors that were part of the whole 50s and 60s era of science fiction and horror films. It's, it's yeah, it's just a really fun, exciting movie. I've always loved it.
0: So next week, we're going further back in time, to so 1945, Oof. with The Picture of Dorian Gray, a, I don't even like calling it an IP, but we'll call it an IP that I don't have any familiarity with. I never read a port- the, the book and I've never seen any like um, telling of it on film. Mm-hmm. Uh I thought it was like the episode uh or the uh scene in I guess say vignette in the night gallery movie where um a dude like puts his soul in a painting, and then turpentine falls on it, and he gets hit by a bus.
1: Okay, no, that that's not what the story is so about. So
0: that's what I was like. Oh, this is like the portrait of Dorian Gray, or the picture of Dorian Gray. But apparently, I am wrong. So I don't want to speak on it. I know you're listening to an audio book. Yes, I'm listening to
1: it. an audiobook. There's a podcast, classic ghost stories, and, and
0: this is in the this is in public the public uh, domain, right?
1: So he reads, and he sometimes he reads up stuff that isn't in the public domain. But um, but he uh, he did a reading, a really lovely reading of this, and it's it's hard to listen to because I'm at work. And Oscar Wilde, for I mean, he was he was a scoundrel in some respects, but he was very funny. And there are some of these bon mots that are are, are tossed out by one of the characters are so wrong. His. Declarations about women. His declarations about Americans. He especially has an issue with Americans, and you're wondering if uh, if this is Wilde's own opinion of, or if this is part of the character. But but anyhow, yeah, that'll be something to see because I I've seen that. I saw that film. Maybe the last time I saw it was about twenty five or thirty years ago.
0: Okay, so you have seen it before. I wasn't. I've seen some of the film. Okay. Uh, it is available available to watch. We're, we can either rent it, or it's, I think, available on something called Pluto TV. Pluto. So we're going to try and see about watching it for free on Pluto TV, probably with many ads. Do you know it lives on Pluto? Uh, well, nothing that would live on a planet, because Pluto's not a planet. It's um, a, snap. a carrot. A
1: carrot? Giant carrots from Pluto.
0: One giant carrot. Or many can't well, be that giant. Pluto's also pretty small. I I understand.
1: I wonder about that. It's like, do they have some sort of shared consciousness, the two plants, uh, the, the the plant creatures?
0: Oh yeah, I don't know. Or like when the plant babies that were grown from its arm mm-hmm. were they all one? Is it like Borg?
1: That's the question. Cellular
0: consciousness. That would that would be what my am I, am I, so they don't have multiple organisms. They're just like one organism.
1: Well, there's a parts. really creepy line that one of the scientists has where he puts like a stethoscope to them or something. He's listening to them. He's like, it's just like listening to a baby crying.
0: Oh, that's right. And yeah, they're sort of like pulsing and quivering. Yeah. yeah. it's just... It's, yeah, yeah. I love the idea of a, a stethoscope. Like, it doesn't have a heart. What are you doing? <laughs> um, okay, so next week, Picture Mm -hmm. of Dorian Gray. Right. Do you have, in the meantime, anything that you'd like to recommend to our lovely listeners?
1: I would like to recommend a film that I already had the recommendation questioned by somebody else. Um, I liked Old.
0: We watched Old. It's now on... Oh, what is it on?
1: It's on HBO HBO Max?
0: Max. Yeah, I think so.
1: And this is a film about a couple and their two kids...
0: A family, if you will.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, that's also something that comes up during
0: the course of the film.
1: We've become a family on this beach. Uh,
0: And they. It's the latest M. Night Shyamalan. So there's a twist, even though there is not a twist.
1: Yeah, the, there's not the you, twist. Is really just the 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 hook of the it's film. It's the
0: hook. It's not a twist. And
1: everything that happens is like, oh god, that's the worst possible thing that could
0: happen. The to them. twist is that Alex Wolf was the model of for all of the actors that played that character because they all had his mole. Right. That's the twist.
1: <laughs> and um, these are people who uh, is a husband and wife that are having issues right now. She is strayed from him at some point. She is ill, and they are and separating. She is Ill. Right. And they don't want to tell the kids that so they're taking this vacation. Uh, they wind up on Paid a... Paid
0: for by a pharmaceutical company. Hey, guys. Just don't take anything <sighs> from a pharmaceutical company. Just don't do it. It's not going to go well for you.
1: And so they wind up on the beach, on this beach, through like a... Um, Slot
0: Canyon.
1: Uh-huh. I, I knew you'd remember it. It's such a Western Slot thing. Canyon. <laughs> and so you, you go And there's this very kind of narrow strip of sand. It's really beautiful. But they begin to notice that the children are outsizing their bathing suits. And then... You guys, w-
0: it's called old. Guess what happens? Right.
1: They begin aging. You, you age.
0: Your cells age faster.
1: So I, I really enjoyed how that...
0: I, and there are plot holes in it, of course. Yeah. There um, are. There, but here's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It is, And right. it goes at a clip, because here's the thing. That's the hook. Right. The cells age faster. So what we need to do to make this interesting is go ahead and do that very quickly and make it, and show the different, yeah, like, things are happening, because it's it's a one-trick pony. That is all the they movie find, is.
1: Um, they find an uh, um a rapper.
0: Yes. With His name <laughs> is Midsize Sedan, and that is the greatest and worst rapper name of all time. He's there with some
1: young woman who went out swimming and disappeared, uh, so he's waiting for her to come back. There are There's two other couples there. Um, well, one other couple and a family. Again, man, wife, and uh, little girl, and um, daughter, and um, mom. And they all begin to experience aging at these accelerated rates. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a fun movie. It's a, also, I guess I would put it as a thriller rather than a horror film.
0: Um, there's some body horror stuff. Near the end, there's some body horror stuff. Yeah. Not even just near the end. Mm, I see. would I would um, I don't oh uh, that's right yeah I guess so <laughs> there's some body horror stuff oh my god have I become so in your violence maybe I'm
1: just like oh that wasn't so bad
0: uh, but everybody's really good especially Alex Wolf. I'm a fan of that child he's very good he's also probably not a child probably like 20 his um, his credit was 50 uh, uh, that yeah, his character at 15 mm-hmm but his sister is also, the, the girl that plays her is also at 15. And I'm like, well, they were five years different, so how is that right? I,
1: yeah, oh. I, I don't know how the, the the conceit works, but it seems to be maintained pretty consistently. Um, I don't want to spoil too much of the movie. Because kind of the fun with M. Night Shyamalan is like, wait, what is he going to do next? Oh he yeah, no.
0: Do, do go in. Mm-hmm. You can. You should know what it is because right. I feel like if you don't know what it is, it might make you mad. So be open to what it is, right? And then just go in and have fun. It's you know not very long, right? It goes at a clip. It's well made. The acting is the cinematography. The is, acting is mm, right. it's some variable. of it's very good, right? And some of it is
1: not. The cinematography <laughs> is beautiful. And because they're shooting the Dominican Republic on this beach, yeah, it is really gorgeous. Uh, and some of the acting is, yes, very good. But um, but yeah, it was fun. What do you recommend?
0: Uh, it was a big week for things hitting the streaming services that I wanted to see. So the other thing we watched, other than old, was The Lost City, which is on Paramount Plus and Epics, I believe. And that is the romantic in the stone do-over, Om- homage, <laughs> starring uh, Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum and Daniel Radcliffe and uh, Brad Pitt for a second. And uh, I really enjoyed it. It was really fun. You liked it too, I think.
1: I, it was. It was really silly. Very, very sort of silly fun.
0: It was. It was. It was funny. It kept. Ca- mm. Sandra Bullock is very good right. at physical comedy. She's yeah. good at a lot of things. I particularly enjoy her physical comedy. I like seeing somebody as pretty as she is. Right. Just making an ass of themselves and being okay with that. And I feel like that's who she is in like life. I don't know. It's why well, I like her. We, we know I stories. Think. Your friend mm. who...
1: Yes. Who uh, got to meet her in person.
0: Yeah, I, I knew... I've known... Uh, somebody who was her assistant, and then um, one of my friends in college uh, spoke to her several times because he was the night manager at the hotel she was staying at while she was uh, filming Murder by Numbers. Mm -hmm. With, not Murder by Numbers. Is that what it's called? I think that is what it's called. Michael Pitt. Michael Pitt and Ryan Gosling, yeah. A very young Ryan Gosling. Uh, Because that was filmed where I went to college, mm-hmm. Well, I went to college, I, I, but I never, sne- I knew Ryan was there, and I knew she would be there, and I never fucking went, even though I was, like, a big Mike Pick Pitt fan, mm-hmm. and I didn't know who the fuck Ryan Gosling was, but I was a huge Sandra Fullock fan, because um, Speed is my life. So, if you look back at the beginning of this journey that we've started on, Speed is my life. And I saw, I've, I, you know, I'd already seen that movie dozens of times. So, um, yeah, so lost city is very fun. Uh, the other thing that we watched, uh, which I think I have already mentioned, but I will mention again, because I really did enjoy the watch of it last night was a movie on Netflix called the half of it. Yes, that was really good. Which is a queer Cyrano de Bergerac, uh, retelling, I think. Yes, it, I think in in a way, yeah. it has the it has the basic Cyrano de Bergerac concedes.
1: Right,
0: I'm going to write. I'm going to be your words for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it is written rather than spoken, which right. in the play, especially, is of course because it's a play and you got to hear the words. <laughs> uh, and this takes place in a you know small town in I believe uh, Washington State, Squamish. And uh, uh, boy and girl in love with same girl write letters. One thinks he's do- she's doing it for him. She's not doing it for him. She's doing it for her, but also for him. It's, it's complicated.
1: It's interesting how sturdy a concept that
0: is. It is. Because yeah. it
1: can take so many different You can do
0: points. a bunch right. of different things. This is not a rom- romance or a rom-com. They're... Uh-huh. I'm going to spoil it for you, y'all, because you'll know right away there is no happily ever after for any of these people involved, but everybody's life is better at the end of it, so that's the happily ever after you can take. Um, and I I say that because people who want a romance want a specific thing. This mm-hmm. is not that. This is a coming-of-age drama. Which you can probably get from The Lost City. Yeah, sure. Do that. Yes, absolutely, 100%. That's got an H.E.A., everybody. Uh, uh this a one really
1: happy ending. Like bizarrely happy.
0: Oh, I see what you mean. I'm like, I thought you were making a sex joke. No. Like a massage no. joke.
1: Anyone who watches that film will see whether you know, through the credits, where there's just this final scene that we're like, wait, that isn't what
0: okay, whatever. It's fine. Everything's it's, Yes, that's right. right. Yes. <laughs> the bad the one bad thing that you thought happened maybe did not. <laughs> <and it's fine. laughs> <laughs> no collateral damage in it's kind of like the thing it was all a dream it was all a dream uh, so uh, the half of it is my other recommendation okay. it's quite good you watched it with with us last night and you liked it yeah too. I did yeah.
1: I enjoyed it which I generally I was worried that it was going to be a romantic kind of comedy and I, those are not films I'm too fond of
0: although every really. time he watches one he's like no I liked it Well, <laughs> at some point the tipping point has to be I guess I kind of like those movies <laughs> I like, it
1: depends really on, like, Working Girl, I like. You like
0: good movies.
1: Right. Because it's written by Mike and Nichols. I would and argue that there right. are a
0: lot of good rom-coms. There are a lot of bad rom-coms. I'm not, I'm not advocating uh-huh. when you go on a Hallmark movie binge. But I'm saying, when I like one, I'm not wrong, necessarily. I've got pretty good taste. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, there's always a pretty girl, and almost always a fight. Yeah. So you know. good Enough. Uh, okay. So next week we're watching the picture of Dorian Gray. Uh, there's a 1970s something version as well. That's not the one we're yeah, watching. Yeah,
1: there's there. The, Dorian Gray is also a very sturdy property that's been remade a lot.
0: Yes. Um, and it's so uh, Oscar Wilde, right? Yeah. Yeah. he got a lot of those. Yeah. He's, a, he's one of those uh, canon canon fodder right. people. He's, he's a lot in our canon. Which, and he was a queer writer, right? He was
1: a queer writer. He's uh, Irish, so he has all these strikes against him. Uh, he denied being queer, when he was, but he was sent to jail for did.
0: it. Oh, jeez.
1: Yeah, back then.
0: That sucks.
1: And, uh, but he, as a matter of fact, he was, he was a very interesting person. He won a boxing match
0: a, because I guess you learn how to fight uh, so a they fight don't against, get killed. Yes, yeah,
1: so it's like the idea was, you know, he uh, he was still Irish. <laughs> it's like I, I know, mean, yeah, he probably but, had
0: bro siblings.
1: Yeah, right, exactly. He, but yeah. he's a, uh, just following his. He's a very interesting person, and his writing style is. When you're listening to it or reading it, it's really beautifully dense. Mm. So I'm curious as to whether or not that's going to be how caught. that's going to translate. Right.
0: Okay, because even the be interesting, yeah. even
1: the dialogue that he used in the plays, like the importance of being earnest, yeah, is very dense. It is.
0: And fortunately, they keep a lot of that when right. they. I like I that is a that is a film with what is it Rupert one of the Ruperts or one of the Everett's <laughs> uh, that I do enjoy. So, um, but I've never read any Oscar Wilde either, I don't think. Yep, I have an English degree. Means nothing. I don't. <laughs> no, you don't, but you've read Dory or you've read Oscar Wilde and I haven't, so you win. We're gonna see you next week. Uh until then if you have questions or comments or concerns. Uh, or if you want to tell us which is better, The Thing from Another Planet or or The Thing from Another World or Dread Carpenter's The Thing, because that is the actual title of that film, mm-hmm. you can write us at, uh, you can email at uh, latecomerspod at com. You can find us on Facebook at latecomerspodcasts at latecomerspodcast in the search bar. Um, I, I think they're taking away the podcast thing from facebook it's unclear to me mm. but i don't think it'll change anything about what we do so it right, should be okay. okay uh we'll let you know in june once they actually do take it whatever it is away and see if that alters the way that we interact at all uh and we're on twitter at pod i would like to remind you to please 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 take all of your medicines every day and we would like to remind you better, better late than, than never